Uh, if you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to pray in just a moment. We're, we're continuing in our series entitled, This Is Us. Um, and the tagline is, the only you that God can change is the real you. And we're talking about these real experiences that we as followers of Jesus, and as we heard last week uh, through Jed and his testimony and Tyler's message, that we also who are leaders in the church or pastors, um, we all are going through these things. They're things, um, they're real things uh, that real people encounter. And just by the way, if you have missed any of these messages in this series, I say this all the time, but I just strongly recommend. Um, you to go to our website, which is redemptionaz.com. Go to the Gilbert section, and you'll be able to quickly find these messages and these sermons, and you can track back to where we've been. But last week's was especially powerful, and you want to make sure that you um, are are listening to that and tracking with us where we've been. But Luke chapter 22 is our text. Let me pray and just ask God to to help us. Father, we love you, and God... um, these songs that we have already sung, God, it's not just for us to spill up, fill up space and, and time or just a, a, a creative way for us to start our gathering together. God, they're confessions and professions of, of really what we believe, that, God, you're always faithful, that you're never changing. And, God, when, when the sun is shining on us, And God, when we feel like we're in the valley of darkness, God, we want to bless your name, God, because we know you're always good, and you're always good to your kids. Spirit of God, I pray for help. Um, I pray that I would be controlled and filled by you. I pray that you'd move freely in this time and in this room and in our hearts and in our minds. God, that you might... um, that you might speak to me, God, that you might speak to us. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. We're, we're taking kind of a, a pivot, pivot, um, about where we are in this series, and um, we're, we're moving from these realities that we experience to what do we do about them? Like, how do we respond? And, and today I've been um, assigned prayer. And if you remember, my last message in the Ephesians series was on prayer. Uh, in fact, my wife said, why don't you just do that one again? That one was all right. And, uh, and I don't know why I keep getting the prayer ones, but God has something to say to me at least. Uh, but I believe he has something for us to say today. So, so how do we respond to these things that we experience? These things like disappointment, these things like doubt and darkness, these things like depression, how do, how do we respond to those things? And I think we, before we start, we have to acknowledge that a lot of these things really do catch us off guard. I mean, if we're honest, uh, especially for those of us who grew up in the, in the church, uh, these things don't really jive with our kind of Western American version of, of Christianity. I, I, I grew up in a church. I came to faith later in life, but grew up in a church and grew up in something called Sunday school, like what we have here. And uh, in our Sunday school, they were always telling these heroic stories of champions throughout the scripture. And they used something um, that was highly technologically advanced at the time called flannel graph. I don't know how many flannel graph people we've got in here. I know there's an updated version of that now, but this was a piece of felt uh, that they put on an easel, and then they have somehow would have these pictures magically stick on this felt, and it was, it was wonderfully captivating. But we grew up with these stories, these stories like Daniel. 
Daniel was a young man who was faithful to God, and because of that, Daniel was thrown into a lion's den, a pit of hungry, angry lions, which meant certain doom for Daniel. The king loved Daniel. He, he threw them in the pit. He prayed for Daniel, which was kind of odd, but then the next morning he came and he found Daniel was all good and the lions were fast asleep. God had shut the mouths of the lions. And you hear that story as your kid, you're like, this God is amazing. There was Jonah. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Not a good situation. But thankfully for Jonah, he repents. He spit out 10-point landing on the shores of Nineveh, and the entire uh, place comes to revival. The worst people on planet Earth at the time come to know and serve the Lord. There was Moses. Moses told the Pharaoh, God wants you to let his people go. So Pharaoh eventually does, and as the people are on their exodus, they're leaving Egypt, they encounter the Red Sea, and there's no way for them to cross. So what does Moses do? He holds up his staff. If you don't grow up in church and you're hearing these stories, you're like, these Christians are weirder than I thought. This is what they believe, seriously? Yes. Uh, He holds up the staff, the sea opens up, and the people of God, the Israelites, cross over on dry land, but the Egyptian army is right on their heels, and as the Egyptian army gets to the sea, God closes the sea back on the Egyptian army, and all the horses and all the chariots and all the spears and all the shields all go down to the bottom. And it's such an amazing radical moment. They actually write a worship song right there at that moment. And they sing, I will sing unto the Lord for he hath triumphed victoriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. There's David. As a kid, you love David's story. David, little guy with a slingshot. What could be better? Takes that slingshot, flings a rock up into Goliath, the giant that everybody else is afraid of except for David. The rock hits him square in the forehead. Giant goes down. David stands over the top of the giant, takes the giant's own sword, chops his head off. The Bible is amazing. There's Joshua. Joshua leads the people of God into the promised land. They come upon this city that's so fortified that everybody else wants to quit. Joshua says, we're not going to quit. In fact, we're going to walk around the city seven times. And on the seventh time, we're going to shout as loud as we can. You love this as a kid. And the walls come down. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Remember these guys? They want to honor God. They want to be faithful to God. That gets them thrown into a fiery furnace. And the fiery furnace is so fiery and so hot that the guys who throw guys into the furnace get burned up. That's like the worst job in the whole land. I throw people in the fire and I die, right? They go in the fire and it's Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and a fourth guy. Most people believe that was Jesus. Not bad. You're walking around the fiery furnace. You look up and the Son of God is there with you. Like, we're going to be all right, right? They pull them out. And the Bible says they don't even, their clothes don't even smell like smoke. You can't go to Joe's barbecue and your clothes won't smell like smoke. <laughs> they come out of the fiery furnace and they don't even smell like smoke. And then there's Job. We didn't get a lot of stories about Job when we were kids. A little complicated with Job. Hey, kids, here's Job. His family gets wiped out, loses everything, sores and boils all over his body. Let's take naps, right? <laughs> we don't really get Job's story. But what Job does is Job sets us up for the reality that you don't always get spit up on dry land. 
You don't always shout the seventh time and the walls come down. You don't always see the enemy sink to the bottom because sometimes you sink to the bottom. You don't always make it out of the fiery furnace. The end of Job is is pretty challenging. In Job chapter 42, it says this, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him in his house, and they comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now, the fact that Job got it all back, that kind of does fit nicely with our kind of Western Christianity. But for those of us who are in Christ, the reality is we all get it back. Maybe not in this life. Job got it back in, li- in this life, but we all get it back. But there is that phrase in there that's really hard, hard for us to read. All the trouble the Lord had brought upon him. And what it's doing is it's setting us up for the New Testament. In the Old Testament, all the heroes win. In the New Testament, all the good guys die. There's Stephen. Scripture tells us he's a man full of faith. He's a man that the church picks to take care of the widows. Stephen must be an amazing guy. But as we look in on the, the, the final moments of Stephen's life, he's an inch away from taking his last breath. He's being pummeled with rocks and boulders, and he's praying. He says, Lord Jesus, into your spirit, I commit my life. Stephen saying, everything that I have, everything about me right now is going towards you. I put my life into your hands. And by the way, would you forgive all of these people? The scripture tells us that Stephen, his face was like an angel, which meant that God was all over him. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He had done signs and wonders. He was full of faith. And here's this man, full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, murdered in the street. There's a man named Saul who's there, and the Bible says he gives hearty approval to what's going on with Stephen. In fact, he's holding all the coats so people can freely throw rocks at Stephen Saul, he gets converted and he goes from the guy holding the coats while a son of God had murdered to now the, the guy who wrote, writes most of the New Testament. And there's this one time that Paul, now Saul was turned to Paul, and Silas, they get arrested, they're thrown in prison, they're praying around midnight, they're singing hymns to God, and the Bible says all the prisoners were, were leaning in. It's a it's the first prison ministry uh, there. Chuck Holmes, my friend, and Mount Nebo wasn't quite up and running yet, so God needed a couple guys to get beat up and thrown in jail because what Paul and Silas understand is that there's a mission. There's a divine purpose that sometimes requires suffering. And I, and I don't know why God didn't do it another way. If you know this story, there's, a, there's an earthquake and the earthquake opens all the prison doors and everybody can run out. In fact, the guards kind of freak out because they think that's what's going to happen. And you read that and you think, God, why didn't you just lead with that? Why don't we just start with the earthquake? And Paul and Silas can march in and say, this is the power of God, power of the Holy Spirit. That's a powerful presentation. Because I think what needed to happen is that these prisoners would be most receptive by another guy who had been beat up and thrown in the darkness by another one whose hands were chained the same way that theirs were. Paul says at the end of his days in 2 Corinthians 11, he's He's bragging and kind of apologizing at the same time. But he says this. He says, are are they Hebrews? 
So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I'm more. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Remember, remember the movie, The Passion of the Christ, where Jesus is, is scourged and whipped? Five times this happens to Paul. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled, and I have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern. If you have ESV, it says anxiety. Paul confesses, I, I have anxiety for all the churches. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. He continues in chapter 12. He says, therefore, and, and, and as if all that wasn't enough for Paul to have to deal with. In chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I wouldn't get a big head over everything. I was, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. Have you ever had that prayer? God, just take it away. God, just take the darkness away. Just take the pain away. Just take the suffering away. Just take whatever is tormenting me away. Paul says, I prayed that prayer. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will brag, I will boast all more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak then I am strong. So what is up with Paul? Is he crazy? Is, I mean, is he just mental? How can he respond like that? Well, we get a clue if we look at the central character of the Bible, Jesus Christ, the Son of God in human flesh. God comes to earth in form of a baby, and at his birth, they try to kill him. They were so afraid of his birth that they sent on an edict to kill all the boys in the area two years old and younger. So right off the bat, the story of Jesus is a, it's a tough story. Then at 33 years old, after he's lived this perfect, spotless life, he, he's done nothing but good. He, he's done nothing but teach truth, touch lepers, heal people, give grace to the prostitute, do the unthinkable, do miracles, give signs, extend the kingdom to people who never thought they had a shot at the kingdom. That's all he's ever done with his life. But in his 33rd year, he's crucified. He dies. But before he does, he prays. And he pray, when he prays, he's informing us that there is a different way to pray in our darkest moments. Luke chapter 22. It should be there already. Luke chapter 22. We find Jesus in the garden. The Bible says that this was his usual custom. This was a usual practice of his to go and pray. And just a... Just 
three verses here. Verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. In other words, what Jesus is praying here to his father, he says, if there's any heavenly way to put people's broken lives back together with you again, besides me going through what I'm about to go through, will you do that? If there's any other way, I'm asking for it. I mean, that's a real prayer. That's a real prayer. He's sweating drops of blood. He's under tremendous emotional and physical strain. He's honest with his father, and he says, if there's any way out of this, I'm open to that. Jesus has this huge weight on his shoulders, but his response is so perfectly human. He's not the least bit plastic here. And sometimes we beat ourselves up because we're, we're feeling distraught or, or we think, oh, if, I were, if I were stronger, if, if I were only stronger, if I were only better, if only, if only I had more faith, then, then, then I wouldn't feel so sad or I wouldn't be anxious. And, and sometimes we feel even worse because we don't even have any words. And we're so distraught, all we can do is really just sit in silence and we feel, we feel bad about that. Or, or we feel like a fraud because we aren't praying these deep theological prayers. We aren't using all the words that we hear in, in sermons or read in books. Or like Tyler said last week, or, or how could I even say that? How could I even think that thing about God? How could I even say that to God? How could I speak those words out loud? But sometimes the very opposite is true because the more healthy we are, the more we'll be honest about the pressure that we're feeling. And sometimes I think we're afraid of expressing our questions, not because we're worried about God's response, but because we're worried about our own. We're terrified that if we admit how we're truly feeling, that our faith will crack, but the opposite, it's true. Because when we suppress the pain of what we're experiencing, when we are stuffing it down and denying it, that's when our faith becomes so hard and brittle that it breaks. When we retreat and refuse to feel the pain of our disappointment, we're not really trusting God. We're using him. When we are aware that our hearts are troubled, it's then we can honestly face our sadness and not be ruled by it. You see, Jesus is ruled by his fathers, not by his feelings. He clearly has feelings. He clearly feels like he can express those feelings. He can be honest about his feelings. He's honest about what he wants. He shows us that we can be too, but he's ruled not by his feelings, but by his father. And we know that because that isn't the end of his prayer. He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Tim Keller has written an excellent book on praying called Prayer. And he says this, prayer is not simply petition, but strenuous petition. It is active pleading with God. It consists not merely in reflection of the promises of God, but in taking hold of these promises. The Westminster Shorter Catechism defines prayer like this. It's the offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will. 
in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. And when we make our needs known, we explicitly tell God that, look, if you have something different than what we're asking, we know it will be better and it's what we really want to do. Again, Tim Keller says this, when you struggle in prayer, you can come before God with confidence that he's going to give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. And that he does care and that he loves you boundlessly. We make our desires known. We rest in his wisdom. That's what we see in this prayer in the garden. That's what we see in what's known as the Lord's Prayer. That we can pray with this shameless audacity. And at the same time, we could pray with a restful submissiveness. A confidence that God is wiser and that he wants the best for us. So what do I do with all these kind of Old Testament hero stories, all these champion stories, and our experience, my experience of darkness and disappointment and doubt and despair? I mean, does this mean that the New Testament nullifies all those Old Testament stories? No, it doesn't. It means that it clarifies them. Does the New Testament abolish all the Old Testament prayers of blessing and protection? It doesn't abolish them. It fulfills them. When we look at David's psalms, like Tyler did last week, we see that David maintained his confidence in prayer despite many deep disappointments in life, despite many denied requests, even when David prays for the life of his infant son. But David still is able to maintain a heart of prayer after that. And, and David had experiences where God had saved him over and over and over again. He had the revelation from the Spirit of God that prodded him and pushed him and led him. But we who live after Christ and we who believe the gospel, we have an even greater resource. We have even greater assurance that God will hear our petitions. We know that God will answer us when we call because one terrible day, he did not answer Jesus when he called. That's how. The gospel God treated Jesus as we deserve. He took our penalty so that when we believe in him, God can then treat Jesus, treat us as Jesus deserved. More specifically, Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit so that our prayers could have the reception that Jesus merits. That's why when Christians pray, when we pray, we have confidence that we will be heard by God and answered in the wisest way. When, when Jesus taught his disciples on prayer, he gave them this illustration out of Luke 11. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is saying something very powerful and wonderful here. He says, if earthly fathers who, who are sinful ordinarily want what's best for their children, how much more committed is our perfect heavenly Father to our needs and desires? That means that there has never been a parent on earth who wants joy for his or her children as much as your father in heaven wants joy for you, his child. There's never been a human father who wanted to answer his child's petitions as much as God wants to answer yours. Because Jesus got the scorpion and the snake so that we could eat at the father's table. He received the sting and venom of death in our place. 
And so we know that God will answer us when we call out, my God, my God, because God did not answer Jesus when he made the same petition on the cross. One author has said, for Jesus, he got the great silence so that we could know that God hears us and answers us. And we can ask, we can ask God for things with boldness and honesty and diligence and patient submission, all because of Jesus and all in his name. Your father knows what you need before you ask it. Which means that when you come before God in prayer, you're not informing God of your problem as if he's lacking information about what's going on with you. When we pray, we are inviting God into our problems. We're inviting God into our darkness, into our despair, into our disappointment, into our doubt, as though he has all the power and ability and wisdom to handle them. Because he does. And we really need to stop talking and treating prayer like it's the last resort. Have you ever said the phrase or heard somebody say the phrase or use the idea like, well, nothing else to do but pray? Or I guess we're all out of things to do but, but pray. We have to stop thinking about prayer like that. But you're saying there's nothing left for me to do but me as a child of God to access the holy, infinite creator God. That's all we've got left to do. <laughs> the one who is the alpha and the omega. The one who holds it all together by the power of his word. The one who is resurrection and life. The one who raises from the dead. That's all I can do is access him, go to him, Prayer is not our last resort. It should be our first instinct because prayer is our access to resurrection power in our lives. If you want to see resurrection power come in your life, it's access through prayer. 1 John 5, John says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. What if at the close of this service, some miracle, God comes down in power and everything you've prayed for this week came true? Everything you asked God for this week came true. What would the world look like? What would your world look like? What kind of transformation would, would take place? What kind of, where would there be freedom? What would, what would your marriage look like? What would your family look like? What, what healings would there be? What deliverance would there be? What provision would there be? If, if that happened, all the things that you prayed for this week, they closed the service, that God came down in power and it all, it all happened. Or would you be sitting there saying, you know what? I don't have because I didn't ask. The encouragement is to don't quit praying. You've heard that all throughout this series, that God is working, that your wilderness is not wasted because God is working in the midst of it. I've had seasons, recent seasons in my life where I've prayed consistently a very simple, guttural prayer because I just couldn't muster to say anything else. I couldn't think of anything else. And for eight months, almost a year, the same consistent prayer, the same consistent prayer, the same consistent prayer. Other people were praying it for me. I went to different places and prayed this prayer. I talked to different people to talk about this prayer. And then finally, in just a moment, God just broke through. 
And the whole time I look back and I was like, God, where were you? Where were you? Where were you? And I look back and I'm like, oh, you were working there. You were doing this. You were doing that. I missed that. I didn't see that. Don't give up. Keep praying. Everything that God allows you to go through, he goes through with us. He does not waste it. He uses it. And sometimes that means that we have to go through the things that we never want to go through so that we can take the name of Jesus to people that are going through or have been those same, through those same things. And look, the prayer is, God, I don't, I don't want those things. I don't want them. But if I have to go through them, use them and use me in the midst of them. And that's where prayer grows. It grows in that reality. God, use me in the mission. Use me in your purpose. God, don't waste my disappointment. Don't waste my doubt. Don't waste my darkness. Don't waste my depression. Remove it. I pray that you take it away. But if you don't, use it for your fame and use it for the good of others. I'm, I am just like you. I pray for health. I pray for protection. I ask for deliverance. I pray for blessing. I pray for favor. I pray for help. But sooner or later, those things are not going to be there. So I've got to have somewhere in the mix. Lord, use it. Use my suffering. Use the pain. Use the sickness. Use the despair. Use the disappointment for your glory, for your fame, for your purposes, your mission in the world. And we pray in light of the mission. And the mission is that every person on the planet hears the name of Jesus. And it can be so hard for us sometimes. And we're in our little bubbles to, to know that there's a planet that is weeping out there. And it's filled with people who do not know Jesus. And we get caught up. And what we want to do is we want to turn the church into some kind of luxury cruise line when it's designed to be a battleship. C.S. Lewis once said, I'm not sure God wants us to be happy. I think he wants us to love and be loved. But we are like children. Thinking that our toys will make us happy and the whole world is our nursery. Something must drive us out of that nursery and into the lives of others. And that something is suffering. You will en endure hardship in this life. You will suffer. And there will be valleys and there will be dark days. But at the end of the day, there is a prize for those who are found in Christ Jesus. And those who have prayed, your kingdom come and your will be done in my life and in this world. Let's pray. Father, this is um, a difficult world. And God, this is a difficult word for us this morning. God, it is not something that I just stand here and say flippantly or read this verse like it's a verse I've heard a thousand times before. Because it's deep with pain and anguish. But it's deep with meaning and it's deep with hope. And so, Father, I pray for those in this room who even right now are praying that you would remove a cup. God, that you would take away darkness or depression or doubt or despair. God, I pray for mercy for them. And God, I pray that you would remove it. And God, I also believe and pray in faith God, that you will not waste it and that your will will be done because your plan and your purpose 
cannot be thwarted. I pray and I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our victorious and reigning King and Savior. Amen.